It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. It is October 5th, 2022. And if you're keeping score at home, that means it's World Meningitis Day, a day where we shine a light on meningitis to help spread awareness about a vaccine preventable disease that can take the life of an otherwise healthy person in as little as 24 hours. And as a guy that's been in sales for most of his life, I understand that facts are important, but I also know that stories are really what get people emotionally involved and charged and ready to make action on things that they hear. And we've got a great meningitis story to share with Andy Marceau. He was affected by meningitis and went on to write a book about his experience called Worth the Pain, How Meningitis Nearly Killed Me, Then Changed My Life for the Better. But I can't do it any justice. It's better just to bring Andy on and hear straight from him about his story and how he survived meningitis. Hey, Andy. Thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You, sir, have got uh, quite a meningitis story that I want to talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a story that, you know, is probably similar in a lot of ways to yours and then goes off in some other <laughs> different directions as well. So, yeah, I'm happy to, happy to talk about it. Yeah, and today is World Meningitis Day. Woohoo! Yeah. It's a big deal. And it is a big uh, deal. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to make light of it there. It's uh, October 5th every year. It, it, it's changed dates. It used to be in April, but don't worry about the details. It's now October 5th um, every year where it's World Meningitis Day. And we're trying to bring awareness to this crazy disease that, that you and I both know very well. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird for me to be, you know, recognizing this day in October because I got used to it being in April. And like right, right around the exact time of year when I got sick. So yeah, it, it always sort of felt gratifying to have all that attention around meningitis. Yeah, maybe it was my, because of you. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think that, I don't think that's <laughs> true. But it was it was nice that, you know, people were talking about the illness right around the same time when I would, you know, start thinking about it every year. Yeah, that anniversary date for you is, is it April 27th? Yeah, I think I was maybe actually hospitalized on the 28th, but the 27th, I think, was the day when I started to fall sick. Yeah, well, mine is February the uh, 6th and hospitalized on the 7th for me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I do remember that date. And every year when that date rolls around on the calendar, I do um, I do have a little remembrance of that date. And uh, it. At least for me, and I think probably the same for you, meningitis definitely changed my life forever. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, a, a before and after that, you yeah. know, the before is almost like a, a different life. And and this is, you know, the one that I have now. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's I think it's important every year when that anniversary comes around to just sort of recognize like how far we've come since that happened to us. And for me now, I am further on the other side than I, I, I went before. It was 24 years ago 
for me, and I am, I don't want to give my age here necessarily, <laughs> but um, I am, <laughs> I've spent more, more time post meningitis than I did pre meningitis. So yeah, I'm, I'm coming close to that uh, milestone. And that's, that's weird to me too. Like, it's weird to think that, you know, I've now spent almost as much time with these physical effects of the disease as I had, you know, time before without them. And you wrote a tremendous book about your experience, which is something I'm in the process of working on. Uh, I'm not much of a writer. I'm much more of a talker than a writer. But um, for many years now, really, maybe a couple years after my event, I, I felt like I needed to chronicle it. But as it turns out, Andy, my story really wasn't done. It's not done now either. But no, it never is. <laughs> so many things have happened since even since the meningitis experience for me that the delays in, in writing and recording all of it have, um, I think, been, it's, it's going to be a lot better. It's, it's a much more full story now. And especially since uh, I'm, a, I'm a father now, which are mm-hmm. were things I, I didn't really think were possible. There's a lot of things that have happened that I didn't really think were going to be possible. Yeah. And it, it really adds to the body of the story. And it's it's starting to come together, but you you sir you already did it, um so that's fantastic. It's a great read. I enjoyed it. It for me it took about I don't know two three maybe three or so days. I got a lot of craziness in my life, so I I can't just sit down <laughs> and and go all the way through it. But I think it took me about three days. It's it's a pretty quick read, and it's a great read. And we're gonna link to it in the show notes. There'll be a link to it on the on the website for the podcast too. But the title of the book is worth the pain how meningitis nearly killed me and then changed my life for the better yeah that's it's it. kind that's of a long subtitle quite a t- yeah. yeah it's quite a title <laughs> yeah. and after reading it uh i can understand why all that's in there because it it did nearly kill you yeah and yep. i can i can relate to that too there was a lot of and in, in my situation there were a lot of there was a kind of a myriad of miraculous things that happened that got me to the to the finish line on on survival, and I yeah. I, I pick up that uh, sounds like you're a, a Christian, mm-hmm. um, maybe even of a Catholic. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I won't I won't hold that against you at least. <laughs> um, but that that kind of is there's some of that woven throughout that as well. So that certainly adds to the story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So take me back to April twenty seventh. Right. Ish or, or the 26th or whenever those the, the beginning yeah. signs were were happening it you know as as we like to say meningitis can take the life of an otherwise healthy person in the, in our case teenager uh well actually I was a teenager how old were you yeah I was a little bit older I was a senior at the University of Kansas this was 2004 so I was actually 22 because I was kind of one of the older ones in my class okay but so in, in University of Kansas, so I'm at Texas Tech mm-hmm. University. So you got some Big 12 things going on there. And, it, and based on the time of this recording, it's the Big 12 anyway. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it'll be the Big 12 if you're listening to this in the future. But um, okay. So you got a Rock'em Sock'em Jayhawk. Is that what you guys are? Rock Chalk. Rock Chalk. Sorry. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Right. So I was, um, like I said, a senior and getting ready to graduate. I mean, graduation was like three weeks away. I think I pretty much just had finals left. And really healthy. I mean, probably best shape of my life to that point. And, you know, obviously with everything 
going on at school like i was i was stressed i mean i was getting you know ready for finals and probably wasn't eating right and not getting enough sleep or anything but like i was i was quite healthy and i had never had any serious health issues to that point and so that night when i first started to feel sick um it never crossed my mind that it could be like something serious and the initial symptoms were all very much flu like you know i was having cold sweats and and nauseous and it came on pretty fast but again it was like all stuff that i had felt before so i you know and i think my thought was well i'm going to get a good night's sleep and then if i still feel sick tomorrow morning I'll go to the doctor, which I think is probably kind of like what happened to you as well. So exactly, yeah. It's this time in our life, yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 healthy. I'm I'm 19. I never really had any serious illness. You know, the I had colds and I had the flu and stuff, but nothing, nothing. I mean, nothing to to, yeah. to do. And I and I always tell people too. I I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof, right? Mm-hmm. So why? I had no reason to believe anything would, would happen either. And I, you know, to bring it back to basketball, my, my story begins, I was at a basketball, I was playing an intramural basketball game yeah. and I was driving home from that. And I started feeling kind of like I had a, a cold or maybe a little sinus infection kind of thing. And I stopped by, got some medicine, went back to my apartment, talked to my roommates, made a quick dinner, wasn't feeling any better. And I thought exactly what you just said. And I was thinking that as you're saying is I'm going to take some of this medicine. I'm going to get a good night's sleep and see what happens tomorrow. But no, never. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. No, uh, I mean, I missed that one. By the next morning, I mean, I, I got up real early to get a drink because my throat was really dry. And I remember like struggling to walk by <laughs> By even the next morning, I had the prickly pins and needles pain, like when your foot's asleep and mm-hmm. you try and walk on it. Yeah. And it was in both legs and it didn't go away. And then as I was making my way back up the stairs after getting a drink back to my bedroom, I noticed that I had this like purple spots, this rash that had just kind of appeared on my arms overnight. And so like there were these new signs that, you know, if I had really been educated, I probably, you know, should have realized like, okay, this is not the flu. This is something different and possibly something worse. But at the time, again, didn't think it could be anything serious. And I just wanted to go back to bed because I felt so lousy. So I was extremely fortunate that a few hours after that, uh, my friend Clay, who I had told the night before I wasn't feeling well, you know, he had just come back from his first classes and he kind of popped his head into my bedroom see how I was doing and I remember telling him like man I don't I can't remember the last time I felt this sick and then I pulled my arm out from under the blankets and I said look at this rash isn't that weird and his eyes got real big and he was like I think you need to go to the doctor now and uh, I tried to get up out of bed with his help and even with him helping me by that point I couldn't I couldn't stand up like the pain through my legs was just too severe. So he had to go and get another guy. And they, you know, I put one arm over each of their shoulders and they carried me downstairs and put me in the car. And they took me to the student health center, which is not, not where you want to go when you have no. a life-threatening no, illness. It's not. But again, it just illustrates like how 
little any of us knew or how how little we anticipated what was really going on. Had you ever heard of meningitis? I had heard of it, and this is kind of a stupid story, but my, I had heard of it because the year before I got sick, Posh Spice from the Spice Girls nice. yeah, had, okay. had viral, she had viral meningitis, which okay. is very different than yes, what I yes, had. Yes, it is. But they, they had to like, you know, postpone part of their tour. So it was and big you had news. Your, I know you, you had tickets to that, I'm sure, right? No, I didn't. Messed up your- <laughs> but, but it did make the news and it made some sort of impression on me because I remember thinking like, oh, wow. That sounds pretty, pretty nasty. Like she's going to miss a month of the tour. But yeah, so that was like my concept of of meningitis at the time. And what I, what I remembered later was that, you know, I lived in this, um, it was kind of like a fraternity. It was called a scholarship hall. We used to call it a fraternity for nerds, but there was, you know, all this material from the student health center that was pinned up in the hallways. And there were like pamphlets about meningitis pinned up there. Mm, okay. That I I just never you know I never bothered to stop and read them. <laughs> but now, why they would were you there, have done that like, anyway? Yeah, you right. passed the, by it. The information of times. was there, right? And I passed by it dozens of times. It never stopped. So when it happened to me, like I didn't know what was going on. None of my buddies knew what was going on. In fact, the guy that Clay went to go and and get to help him had had made sort of a joking remark about. Well, if I get whatever Andy's got, I'm going to hold you personally responsible, <laughs> which, you know, at the time it was a joke, but it turned out to be, you know, spot pretty, on. Pretty serious. serious. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we, you know, I end up at the student health center. By then I'm in a wheelchair, you know, and I'm totally disoriented. And again, I got very fortunate because the doctor who was on duty there who was just about to go on her lunch break, but the nurse went back there and said, I think you should just wait and see this kid right now. He looks bad. And they wheeled me back there and, and she right away, like she suspected that I had meningitis. Well, that's brilliant. So, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, well, she, what she said, you know, and she and I have become friends since then, but she said like, you know, my face was blue. Cause, and so she anticipated that I wasn't getting enough oxygen. And um, so, yeah, they had me on a ambulance really quickly, which was life-saving, and took me across town to Lawrence Memorial Hospital, like the local hospital, which, you know, it's like a probably, I don't know how many beds, maybe 50. It's not a huge hospital, but, you know, when I got there, I was thinking like, okay, well, now I'm at the hospital. They're going to make me feel better. Like, I had no doubt in my mind at that point. Like, I felt horrible, but I had no doubt in my mind that, you know, these are professionals right right exactly so that's where they first you know said you know we think you have meningitis and uh it was the doctor dr penn i still remember his name the infectious disease specialist there and he said you know we're going to send you for a ct scan because sometimes this you know infection can affect your brain it can cause it to swell up so i did the ct and that was painless and it it came back negative but they still thought, you know, I had this. And they said, well, the only way for us to know for sure is to do the lumbar puncture or the spinal tap. So he had me curl up in a ball, roll on my side, curl up in a ball. He stuck a pretty long needle into my spine. And I remember that kind of being the first moment when I got it, like it actually got through to me. I was like, they just jammed that needle into my spine. Like, 
this isn't the flu. They wouldn't do that for the flu. Like this, this must be something pretty bad. And um, the fluid that he took out of my spine, like he had to send it to the lab to, you know, get it cultured to confirm it. But when he called my parents, he told them like, I don't even need to wait for the results. Like it, spinal fluid should be clear. And his has so much bacteria in it that it's cloudy. Mm. Like I can't see through mm-hmm. it. And so I, and my dad asked him like, so is this serious? And he said, yeah, it's very serious. He said, I think you and your wife need to get here as soon as possible. My parents were living in Minnesota. They were like 500, 600 miles away. So they were, you know, frantic trying to get down to Kansas City. And while I was at that hospital, I, you know, started to have trouble breathing. Uh, they put an oxygen mask on me and I was just like gasping for air, hyperventilating. And so that was scary. I mean, I, I was really by then I was starting to realize like this is, this is really bad. Like I was panicky. And, um, Dr. Penn said, like, we think we need to get you to a, you know, a bigger hospital. We're going to try and get a helicopter. I'm not sure if we'll be able to, we might have to put you on an ambulance. And once again, like I got very lucky, the helicopter freed up and they were able to, you know, save a good half hour, get me to Kansas city, which at that point was, you know, very critical, um, because my breathing was just getting worse and worse. Like, on the, on the helicopter, I remember I was, you know, looking, I was staring at the paramedic who was in the back there with me because I was like, look, I can't breathe. Can you help me? Can you do something? And she wouldn't even look me in the eye. Like, it was like, mm. she knew that things were not good. And um, when we got to University of Kansas Hospital, they landed on the helipad and started wheeling me in there and I blacked out basically as, as soon as we got in the door. And, uh, and then I was out for like the next three weeks, mercifully, because things were, things were not real great. Those, those three weeks. I mean, my parents, my poor parents, like they were on this roller coaster while I was, you know, sedated in a medically induced coma and being pumped full of antibiotics to try and save my life. And they were told when they first got there, like, we cannot give you any guarantee that he's going to survive. And even if he does survive, he's probably going to lose parts of all four of his limbs because that infection that had started in my spine had become septic, which means it had gotten into my bloodstream. And every time my heart pumped, it was spreading that bacteria throughout my whole body. And as it traveled, it was like releasing these toxins that were burning thousands of little holes in all my blood vessels. And that rash that I'd saw that morning, the purple spots on my arms, it was actually thousands of little bruises where blood was starting to pool in my soft tissue. So, I mean, it was just like shocking how quickly the infection went from being like localized to my spine to being totally systemic. And, you know, I was in multiple organ failure. My my lungs were failing. I had to be intubated, um, put on a ventilator. They thought for sure my kidneys were going to fail, and they never actually did, which no <laughs> none of the medical professionals could explain. Like it looked for sure like I was going to be on dialysis and probably even need a transplant, but I somehow dodged that. Yeah, I mean it was just like like I said, I blacked out on that helicopter. And 
had to be told that all of this happened to me because three weeks later when I really like they lifted the sedation and I came to like it felt like no time had passed but really like all sorts of awful things that happened to me so did you like what uh you're 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 thinking as you're moving from what we called affectionately at at my school was the quack shack um the the local (laughs) uh doctor you know on campus yeah Um, so as you're moving from there to the lawrence hospital lawrence memorial hospital yeah and and ku's in lawrence right yeah the the university is the medical centers in kansas city okay so how far is how far away is that it's like uh 45 50 miles east okay um takes about an hour maybe a little bit less to drive there and on the helicopter they were able to do it in like 15 20 minutes okay so So was that your first helicopter ride yeah the funny thing is the paramedic who first was like strapping me in to put me in there asked me that, like, have you ever ridden in a helicopter before? And I was like racking my brain. And, you know, I grew up in Minnesota and there was this place called Paul Bunyan land there. It's like amusement park where they used to sell helicopter rides. And I was trying to think like, did we actually do that? Did we do a helicopter ride when we went to Paul Bunyan? And it, you know, it's, I'm dying. Like literally, <laughs> literally, yeah. literally laid there dying. And this is the thing I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, is, well, maybe that I, was helpful. I, maybe that's, did you know, I ride a mind, helicopter at Paul Bunyan? Of it a little bit. Yeah. yeah, probably. But by the time we were in the helicopter, like at that point, yeah. I was so distressed. I was just praying just over and over again, praying. Did you, did you feel cold? Um, as the mm-hmm. meningitis is, is septic and it's going through your system and it's like your core body is, is, is doing like your body knows what's happening and it's trying to keep your core warm. Right. Right. So could you, could you feel that where you just, Oh yeah. Cold, like my like limbs, my limbs were super cold. Yeah. yeah. Like that morning when I was in bed, like I was, you know, I had a, every blanket that I had was on me and, um, you know, I was just like huddled up under the blankets. But I was also sweating, you know, I was having cold sweats and feverish and everything. So I just, I felt terrible. I mean, I should have, you know, I, and I, I'm going to try not to beat myself up about it at this point because it's, it, it is what it is. But like, I knew instinctively, like, I am as sick as I've ever been. Like, I felt awful, but I didn't know enough to know, like, I could really die, you know, like that, that never crossed my mind. I just knew that I felt worse than I'd ever felt in my life. And I think that's one of the things about World Meningitis Day and, and organizations like the National Meningitis Association and, and Como and other organizations that try to sp- spread awareness. And, and there's also vaccines and we'll, we'll talk about that too. Mm-hmm. But if you had known, if, if Andy had known, yeah you know, in, in the heat of the moment here, these purple rashes and things, if you know, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't really know that men, it's meningitis per se, but you know, you've seen something you said, Hey, if you've got these rashes, yeah, go run like yeah. you can't go any faster kind of thing. So yeah. that's one of the things where these organizations, you know, are, I think are doing really great work. Um, we, we were, we've worked with a couple of them ourselves. Um, and as survivors, I think our stories make this, make it, more impactful to people to to kind of understand these signs because it really can happen to anybody anywhere but it's yeah. it's most often it, it's most prevalent in these teen 
years where you've got communal living, college, mm-hmm. barracks, military, where, where a lot of people together. And if you had known this, you probably would have acted a little faster as, as I would have. Yeah. I mean, like the night before, like I said, that was all flu. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think there was any way I really could have known at that point. But that first time when I woke up early in the morning and I was having that pain in my legs, that persistent pins and needles pain and the purple rash, like I could have saved myself several hours if I would have gone to the hospital right then. And it doesn't do any good to sort of wonder, you know, what if, but it could have been, it could have been, you know, an easier experience for me, for sure. Because the sooner you get those antibiotics on board, the better your outcome is going to be. Yeah, but it does do good for people that that don't know about it, like us at the time, and Mm -hmm. could have even maybe had a little, you know, instead of thinking about the last time you're on a helicopter, maybe thinking about, uh, you remember I was in health class, or I was in you know, whatever, or I was, I saw this television commercial with some symptoms or things. And I think that's where these organizations yeah. really are doing some great work to spread awareness and make people more aware of the symptoms that can often be misdiagnosed, right? I mean, yeah, um, yeah. even by, even by doctors, Yes, uh, even some doctors miss, miss the signs, especially the early. So yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. Like it, the, you know, awareness is, really key you know the odds of you getting this illness are not great but if you do it's usually extremely serious it's yeah. something that it's something that i've talked to a lot of doctors and it's something that they they actually fear it's themselves they don't you know they never forget the first time they have somebody come in with it because it's such a time critical thing you know it's literally hours are the difference between life and death that is for sure and you spent a lot of hours in the hospital Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about hours. It's probably better to measure it in days. Um, my records are, for, from what I read about you, I've got you tracked about 141 days in the hospital. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of that was just because of the, deci- a lot of that was because of the decisions that I had to make after I came to. After they had, you know, flushed me out with antibiotics, killed the underlying infection, and stabilize my organs so that I could be off the ventilator. Then I start to wake up. And, um, you know, at first it's just like this, you know, they tell you, well, you almost died and this and this and this. And it's almost a feeling of like euphoria because like I survived, I've got this second chance at life and everything. And then I realize pretty quickly, like I can't move my hands and feet. And my my limbs, my legs and arms were covered in bandages. I remember thinking like, wow, they wrapped these bandages really tight because I can't even like flex my fingers. And then they had a, a plastic surgeon come in to kind of prep me for when they took the bandages off. And he explained what had happened with the bacteria going throughout my bloodstream and all of those toxins. And he said, you know, like you lost circulation to your extremities for several weeks and you have tissue damage equal to third degree burns over 30% of your body. So, so he told me that and like cognitively I understood it, but then they took the bandages off and like from my, you know, from above both elbows all the way down to the tips of my fingers, 
and above both knees, all the way down to my tips and my toes, my skin was pitch black. Mm. It looked like I had just gotten like scorched, you know, in a fire. (laughs) It was, it was shocking. And like my brain couldn't process it, you know, like, because I couldn't, I couldn't really feel anything (laughs) down there anymore. So I could kind of like trick myself into thinking like, no, those aren't my limbs. That's, that didn't happen to me. And, you know, they're telling me like, well, you know, you've got two options here. We can either amputate all the damaged parts. And, and essentially, for me, that would have meant amputate both arms, probably just below the elbow, both legs, just below the knee. Or we can transfer you to the burn unit. And there we will try and get rid of all this dead tissue and see how much of your limbs we can salvage. And so without even really considering (laughs) the amputations, which would have been a quicker route to getting out of the hospital, I said like, no, I'm going to go to the burn unit. Obviously I want to save as much of my limbs as possible. And and honestly, like in my head, I was thinking we're going to save my entire limb. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to lose any, any parts of my limbs, which you know, the odds of that at that point were almost zero. And if I, you know, had been realistic about what was going on, I probably would have realized that just by the sight of my limbs. But I just think like at that point, it was too much for my brain to process. You know, I couldn't. Yeah, couldn't I, can, I, I can't imagine how I would. Um, yeah, I. I'm at a loss for words. I don't know how I'd process that either. Yeah. So I, I go to the burn unit and again, not really fully understanding what I'm getting into because, you know, I'm like, well, they're going to, you know, they're going to get rid of this dead tissue. They're going to do what they told me they're going to do debridement treatments. And I didn't really know what that meant. I never heard it before. It just means slicing off dead, dead skin. That's all it is. So, Every day or every other day for, you know, several hours at a time, I would go to this room that they called the tank room and they'd like spray down my affected areas with water to kind of clean them up. And then they would just start scraping off uh, all the dead tissue until they got down to something that would bleed because at that point they know, okay, maybe this can still, this is still alive. If it bleeds, it lives. Essentially. So, and then, so uh, there were huge areas of my, my lower arms and lower legs that were debrided down several layers of tissue and uh, open, open wounds. Um, sometimes it would heal over on its own and I've got like some pretty gnarly scars from those, those places. And then some places they needed to uh, do skin grafts is just another, you know, standard treatment for severe burns. But for that, they would take the top layer of healthy skin. And for me, it was usually like my upper thigh, which was still more or less intact. They take the top layer off there and staple it on to some other part of my body that needed skin. And um, so, yeah, they just sort of like Frankenstein me back. But even then, with all of that debridement and i was i'm talking about months like i was in the burn unit for months that whole summer of 2004 pretty much doing those debridement treatments even then had to amputate 
the front half of both feet and all of my fingers except for my right thumb because as they cut into those areas, like they just kept cutting and cutting and cutting and there was just nothing left alive. So, yeah, I mean, just severe trauma, physical and emotional. And um, I had nightmares about those sessions in the tank room for years afterwards. And really the nightmares didn't stop until I started writing about it. And I realized that I had suppressed a lot of the memories of that in my subconscious because I just didn't want to deal with it. And so then it would it would come to the surface when I would go to sleep. And uh, then when I wrote the book, I had to start, you know, dredging up all that stuff, bringing it up into my conscious mind, like dealing with it, analyzing it, getting it down. And after that, the nightmare stopped. So it was interesting. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, it's kind of a cathartic crazy. process then for you. Yeah, for sure. Very much so. And, um, and really, like, if the book had never been published, if nobody else had ever read it, it still would have been worthwhile for me just from what it was able to do for me in terms of accepting what had happened to me and, like, moving on from it. Yeah. Moving forward from it, maybe is a better way to say that. Worth the pain. Again, it's it's available on Amazon. I don't know if it's other places as well, but that's where... That's where I grab. Yeah, that's so. that's where it's most widely found. I would say. Yeah, that's. I think that's the case for anything. Everything's on Amazon. Yeah, so. it seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> but really, it's it's a great read and gives some real. There, there's a lot of details in there, and uh, you pretty much do pour it all out, and um, I, I can, I can't imagine what that what that experience was like, um, from something that again. You, di- you didn't know anything well other than posh spice right <laughs> right who had a very which is, different which is a funny note, serious yeah. form of the illness <laughs> yeah 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 she went on to keep singing and yeah she did fine with right, dave but... beckham and whatever but yeah that's yeah. Good, good for her and uh and good for you too so 141 days and so like i i mean i can't even compare mine mine was mine was 21 and and seven in the in the coma, but it, it's there, there's a, there's a myriad of miraculous events that occurred for me during that time. And I know that that's the case for you too. Mm-hmm. So it, it really could have turned out significantly different. And, yes. and I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones. Yes, me too. Which sounds kind of weird to say, but uh, when you, when you put it in the context of, of the options that are available, um, I, I am one of the lucky ones. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you may have had a shorter stay in the hospital, but I think what you and I definitely have in common is, is that this is, a, you know, it's one of those before and after events in our lives. Yeah, it is for me. It's uh, before meningitis and after meningitis. So it's John and then John 2.0, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. life... Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to do things differently and I wouldn't do things differently. But the fact is that there was a, a major change on this particular date when I was 19. And, and uh, to quote my good friend, uh, Rhett Miller, 19 is not the age of reason. So <laughs> no. I, 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 I didn't know what I didn't know. And I wasn't smart enough to really understand those kind of things anyway. So the more that we, we talk about these things on, on podcasts and websites and and these television ads and things that that are happening 
the more people are aware of it, the more, you know, there's also vaccines now, mm-hmm. but the vaccines don't give you hundred percent guarantee against not getting it. But I think they significantly increase your chances of not getting meningitis. There's five yeah. main strands. Um, they're, they're letters, A, C, W, and Y is four of them. And then the fifth one is B. Mm-hmm. And there, there's vaccines available for all of those strands. I've been told I had the 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 B strand. Is that what you had? Yes. I think that's as what all the cool know, kids. Yeah. yeah, the cool kids get yeah. the B strand. So <laughs> that's that's the cool one. Yeah. yeah. And so um, there there is a vaccine available for kids uh, around 11 for the ACWY, and then a booster at age uh, I believe it's age 16. Is mm-hmm. the second one, and then the Men B vaccine is available at age sixteen as well. So those for me did not exist when when I had meningitis, which was in nineteen ninety eight. I think those started in two thousand three, and then maybe into two thousand ten in that area where those were created. Yeah, I think that's right. It definitely wasn't required when I went to to KU, and then KU started requiring it the, the year after. Yeah, interesting how that works, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty big uh, scare on campus. And, you know, all this stuff that we're all familiar now because of COVID, like contact tracing, that was a huge deal when I got sick. We had to do that with me, too, because I I think I mentioned I was playing an intramural basketball game the day before Mm -hmm. or like about 36 hours before, I guess. And so they had to go back and find out all the people I came in contact with and and everybody got the this big blue pill. I can't remember what it's called, but the the antibiotic. Cipro. They, yeah, what, uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, Cipro. Yeah. So a bunch of my friends, they were calling mm-hmm. people, and this is a '98, so cell phones weren't yeah. like they are now. So you actually had to call people at their house and and mm-hmm. try to find them in school. And hey, did you hear this? And hey, you need to do this. And did you touch? Did you shake their hand or did you play basketball? All these. Yeah, contract yeah. tracing. That's what yeah. we were doing back then and, and trying to get yeah. as many people yeah. to the to the hospital. Luckily for me, the university hospital was pretty much on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just on the outside of the campus. So that's where I spent all of my time. And the, the treatment I got there was great. They, uh, they When I arrived to the hospital, they initially thought I had a drug overdose. Yeah. And when I got to the hospital, I was totally unconscious. Um, I had some miraculous event where my, a friend of mine uh, named Brad, and I think your friend is Clay, mm-hmm. are are mostly responsible for at least Brad for me for being here today talking to you. He came over to my apartment and found me unconscious laying on the floor of my apartment, and um, I had two roommates. But the the day the night before, I had told them I was like, "Hey, you guys stay far away from me as you can because whatever I've got, you don't want <laughs> for sure." I mean, I literally said that to them. <laughs> And so they left. They did exactly what I said. And they left. So I was by myself at a at an apartment with two roommates that I was by yeah. myself. And my my uh, my my fraternity brother Brad was coming over to to hang out with me to do something that day, and he found me unconscious on the floor. And when I he called nine one one, I go to the hospital, which was five minutes away, the University yeah. Medical Center, and that's that's where my entire stay was and they initially thought it was a drug overdose and they were questioning my friends about if what I was taking and like, just, just tell us and we can fix it. But they're like, I don't think John does drugs. I mean, <laughs> maybe there's a side of John we don't know. I don't know, but you know, so 
Um, that's kind of how it started for me. But again, without Brad finding me that day, that's likely the end of the story for me. So it's, it's really crazy how how that happens. Yeah. Gotta have, you know, good people around you. And there, there was a quote from your book that I'll, I'll state here that I thought was just fantastic. It says, you are entitled to nothing, but Mm. can accomplish anything. And I've got that written down and a few places in my life now where <laughs> I thought that was just really a great way to kind of encapsulate um, your book and, and the work you did there to, and, and how you probably see life, I guess now probably, right? How I try to. Yeah. I mean it, you know, and that's kind of why, you know, I titled the book worth the pain because obviously it was a terrible, horrible thing that happened, but I had, I experienced so much personal growth because of it. I think like before all of this happened, I had a really easy life. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't maybe fully appreciate how easy it was, you know, growing up two loving parents, you know, solidly middle class, didn't have a hard time with school, you know, had a lot of great friends, everything totally smooth. And then, you know, this thing happened to me and for the first time I was really tested. Like I was put up against the wall and you know, this was a challenge that I I couldn't get out of, couldn't go around it, you know, couldn't figure out any way to you know avoid it, just had to power through it and, you know, learn how to walk again, learn how to dress myself again, feed myself. Yeah. Just take a shower, go to the bathroom. Human functions. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff that, you know, used to be able to do without even giving it a thought. Now I've got to, you know, figure it all out. And once you go through that, once you do all of that, you you sort of realize like, wow, I've got this kind of incredible, you know, reserves within me that I didn't know were there. And so that's kind of where that phrase comes from. You know, I I felt entitled before this happened (laughs) because because things had come so easily to me up to that point. And this taught me like it can all be taken away in in a day. You can lose your capabilities. You can lose, you know, your, your, your school and your job that can all go away. None of that is a given, but if you fight like hell, you know, if you work and work and work and chip away at this a day at a time, you can get it back. So, I mean, it, it was a powerful experience in that regard. And I think it just taught me an awful lot about perseverance, even when things are hard. And I was lucky to not go through anything very hard until I was 22. And then I went through something extremely hard, something harder than I, I could have ever imagined I would have to go through. And, um, you know, I, I overcame it. So there's, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, there is so much power that I, I can't top that with anything else. So I think that's probably where we're going to leave it, Andy. Okay. Worth the pain. It's on Amazon. Uh, I strongly suggest checking it out. Uh, there'll be a link to it in the, in the show notes of the podcast and on the website, as I mentioned earlier. And again, it's World Meningitis Day. Go out, tell your friends, tell people, spread the word about meningitis, know the signs, know the symptoms. There's a lot of stuff on social media today about meningitis. And I encourage you just take a look at it, be aware of it. 
if you're a parent or a person, a, a teenager or something that just, these are just things you need to be aware of. Um, we mentioned the vaccines and things that are available. So the best thing is to talk to your doctor about those kind of things. And we're trying to push the hashtag defeat meningitis as well as some others. So that's kind of where we're coming from, Andy. Happy World Meningitis Day. Yes, as, as happy as that day can be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we can be happy for lots of people that know the signs and symptoms and uh, don't go through the kind of things that uh, that you went through. So thanks for stopping by, Andy. It's been, it's been great connecting with you. I'm looking forward to uh, connecting with you again soon. Likewise. Stay in touch. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.